Please rise for the reading of God's Word from Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 8 through verse 13. Hear now God's Word. For you once, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said. Amen. Last Sunday we spoke of the dramatic contrast between believers and unbelievers. You once were darkness and now you are light. The Bible never seeks to blur the lines or to erase these antitheses. It draws with sharp and bold lines because this is a life or death situation. We are either with him or against him. And so today I want us to press a little further as we consider this text and how we can know whether we are darkness or light. This is critical for each of us as we examine ourselves. There is nothing more important. And so I ask you, are you willing to take a hard look at yourself? Three primary areas that we want to consider as we think about this distinction between light and dark are the mind, the emotions, and the will, and how this will work itself out in those areas. But for the sake of analysis and evaluation, therefore, it is useful to consider each of these separately, even though they kind of overlap and they they blend. There are, we would say, our inner man, if you were. But we can break them out and think about them And uh, and then we put them back together and recognize we're speaking of the entire inner life for each of us. So first, let's consider how darkness impacts the mind. The intellect or the understanding, you see, is either darkened or it's enlightened. Ignorance is always associated with darkness, a lack of knowledge. And one of the things about ignorance that we, it's kind of a cliche, but it's true, you don't know what you don't know. And so you are even ignorant of your ignorance. And that's darkness. That's the very definition of, of mental darkness. And knowledge is always associated with enlightenment. If God is light and the unbeliever is darkness, then this means that he is ignorant of God himself. He doesn't know the light, doesn't know God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And no matter what else he knows, and no matter how much he knows, if he doesn't know God, then he is ignorant of the most important thing there is to know. It's the critical element. Ephesians 4, 17-18, Paul already wrote, The Gentiles walk, live, in the futility or emptiness of their mind, having their understanding darkened being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. He can look at the world that God created, this fascinating, 
intricate world. And God says in Romans 1, uh, what may be known about God is manifest in them, not just to them, but in them, so that, uh, for God has shown it to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen. So there is a sense in which the unbeliever sees this, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, and yet it says, and so that they are without excuse, but then it goes on to say they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. It's as though they put their hands over their eyes. They will not see this. It's a willful blindness. And so instead the unbeliever concludes that all of it, all of its intricacy, all of its function was an accident of the universe. And he says it with a straight face. One man said it well. When a man tells me that he sees nothing in Beethoven, he is telling me nothing about Beethoven, but he is telling me a great deal about himself. For example, they know nothing about God's holy character. And they freely offer their criticism and their judgment of him, if he exists at all, they say. There is an arrogance to unbelief. But the Apostle Peter warns in Second Peter chapter 3, the, scoff, the scoffers will come in the last days, those who make fun of God and make fun of His people and His Word, walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the Word of God the heavens were were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. And remember, they are not only in the darkness, the text tells us they are darkness. They don't know God. And the more they talk, the more they express their ignorance. Professing to be wise, they become fools. They are even ignorant about themselves. They are the emperor who has no clothes. Moreover, they are ignorant of the meaning of life. They don't know its purpose. I just obtained a copy of a book by Bruce Hoadley titled, Understanding Wood. It's a very good book. He's really a bright and an informed man when it comes to the subject of wood. But there was a statement that he made in chapter 1 that caught my eye. He said this, Wood evolved as a functional tissue of plants and not as a material designed to satisfy the needs of woodworkers. You see, he understands some aspects of wood, perhaps quite a few, but has fallen short when it comes to understanding its broader purpose and design. Because, you see, God made the tissues of the tree not only to sustain the tree, but also he designed it to satisfy the needs of woodworkers. And we enjoy that all the time. It's in this room all around us. 
God had that in mind as well. That's the piece that's missing in his knowledge and his understanding of wood. Not just one tiny example. As Dr. Van Til put it, used to put it, the unbeliever can count, but he cannot account for counting. That's what's missing. According to the Bible, life, including the trees, is full of meaning. For example, all we do and say and think are known to God. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his eyes, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. That knowledge of God is a light that changes everything. Not only does the darkness not know God in a general way, it certainly doesn't know His Son. They don't know the eternal Son of God or why He came into the world. They are ignorant of His person and ignorant of His work, and therefore they are ignorant of the way of salvation. That's true darkness. And if maintained, it will end in everlasting darkness. So that is how darkness impacts the mind. Just a brief look. Now the emotions. The unbeliever is not only ignorant of the truth. The Bible tells us they are willfully ignorant that they don't want to believe this. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to because their hearts are hard. Jesus said, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. They had a passion, a feeling, an affection for darkness. We are all constantly expressing the desires of our hearts or how we feel. R.L. Dabney argued that the feelings are primary Uh, The primary even over the mind, for they are the things that move us. He called the feelings the temperature of thought. You uh, You are feeling moved or you are not feeling moved by the Word of God right now. Romans 1.21, although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. And their foolish hearts were darkened. And Paul has already written of this digression of darkness in chapter 4, verse 17. The Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of ignorance is, is in them. Why? Because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greed. In other words, they do whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it. A hard heart is the result of an attitude or a feeling of rebellion against God. It is a heart of darkness. And third, the will. Paul speaks in in this text of the unfruitful works of darkness, deeds of darkness, Our thoughts and feelings inevitably get expressed in our decisions to act. You and I make a thousand decisions every day, and it matters whether those decisions are enlightened or not. 
The Bible says as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That's how it works itself out. Uh, Matthew 15, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. That's all an act of the will, decisions we make, things we do. At the very heart of every sin is our desire to be as God. We're selfish, and our wills take precedent over God's will. The dark mind and heart don't want light. They hate light. Light exposes. Selfishness drives the will. I want what I want, and I want it now. And while we can't will God out of existence, what we can do, and what we often do, in fact, every time we sin we do it, is we at least try to, uh, to, to uh, get God out, to get the light out, to get the lights off, so we can do what we want to do. And so, like a child covering his eyes, playing peepot, pretending that people aren't really there, pretending that God, if I can't see Him, He can't see me. Not His will, but my will be done. But remember, you can run, but you can't hide. He is omniscient. Now, those are the three areas where darkness manifests themselves, manifests itself in our minds, our emotions, our wills, and it produces then unfruitful works of darkness. We can't be fruitful in the dark. Plants need light. The ignorance of the mind, the hardness of the heart, the rebellion of the will all lead to a futile, empty, and unfruitful life. For when you were slaves of sin, you were freed in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? In other words, that old life, when you were an unbeliever, it was empty. You were on the treadmill. It was going nowhere. It was fruitless. It had no reason. It had no purpose. Darwin and others helped the world plunge further into their darkness by declaring that man was not a special creation of God if there was a God at all. There is only, you see, an impersonal process and man stands at the end of that process. There is only this impersonal process. This is it. You will soon be dead. You will soon be forgotten. Your life will have meant nothing. Think about it. If God doesn't exist... Your life means nothing. You are a blip on the screen of the universe. You are molecules in motion. And those will not be in motion much longer. Well, they'll be in motion somewhere else other than in you. But at least, at least we have a so-called scientific explanation for the darkness. He says that this behavior, this fruitless life, is shameful. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Think about this. The world is, in fact, ashamed of itself. Like Adam and Eve, who hid themselves, many evil deeds are done in the dark, both literally and figuratively. Animals have no shame. But men and women are made in the image of God, and when they seek to live contrary to what they were made for, 
shame is not far behind. When Adam and Eve sinned, the first thing they did was hide themselves from God. Try to. Now, I have a theory. I have a theory about much of what goes for celebrity in our day. Some of the biggest celebrities are those who parade their hatred of God. They do it with their language, they do it with their sexuality, they do it with their humor, and they do it in open defiance of God. Because you see, most people, most of the people you know are too ashamed to display themselves like this, but they admire those who will. It's, it's, a, it's a perverted form of courage. And they look up to people who have the courage to spit in the face of God and say, you're not going to tell me what to do either. They wish they could do that. And they like it because it helps normalize the darkness. To help people feel good about the things they're ashamed of. Sigmund Freud got it right, at least one thing right. He said, the basic problem of every man is guilt. He feels ashamed. Now, he thought most of that guilt was something we shouldn't have. It's phony. And if we could just get rid of the guilt. So he was right about that. But there is only one way to get rid of the guilt. And he sought it in every other way. For him, it was cocaine. But there are all kinds of other creative ways that people do this. Paul says that we, as light should expose them. Jesus is light, and if you are also light, then your job is to do what? Shine. Part of this will be to provide contrast between light and dark. Part of this will be to shine in the darkness and expose what's going on, and so you will have to speak up. You will have to step up, not hide your light. Lloyd-Jones wrote this, Christian people, may I put it to you like this. Are you concerned about the masses that are in this darkness? I know you feel a sense of disgust with respect to them. We all do. But if you merely feel a sense of disgust and gather up your skirts and walk on the other side of the street, you are almost as bad as they are. The Levite and the priest did just that and no more when they saw the wounded man by the roadside. That is of no value. If we realize that the people we encounter are living worthless lives because of the world's tragic ignorance and darkness, then I say, as Christian people, it should move us to say, what can I do for these people? A motive for evangelism, a motive to speak, a motive to shine, a motive to give hope. You are not helping your friends by providing the cover of darkness. And then he goes on to speak of the fruit of light. You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, he says in verse 8 here. When the light is shed on the mind, the emotions, and the will, then life becomes fruitful. The fruit which is seen always tells us what we need to know about the tree, right? When you see peaches hanging on a tree, you know that's a peach tree. You know it's healthy. 
You know the roots are working. You know this tree is doing what it was meant to do. Now, I would remind you that fruit will be seen in various stages of maturity. But do you see and do others see obvious fruit in your life? While darkness is characterized by ignorance, light is characterized by knowledge and understanding. First and foremost, of course, as we've already mentioned, there is a knowledge of God, a personal knowledge of God. As we read in John 17, and this is eternal life, that you may, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and told them, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He can't see them. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, he needs a, a sixth sense that's broken or missing. The world likes to suggest, for example, that the great intellectuals are not Christians because they're so smart. Dr. So-and-so has spoken. Like the celebrities I mentioned, it is hoped that these brilliant examples will reassure those who are still in darkness that someone a lot smarter than you doesn't believe And so it's okay. You can rest assured. The scientists have spoken. The PhDs have spoken. You can rest assured. But the reality is that it doesn't matter how sharp the brain is if it lacks spiritual perception. It doesn't matter how sharp your eyesight is if you're deaf and you can't hear the world around you. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity toward God, for it cannot subject itself to the law of God, for it is not uh, able to do so. Job described them this way in Job 12. He takes away the understanding of the chiefs of the people, we might say of the smart people, of the best and the brightest. So he takes away the understanding of the chiefs of the people of the earth and makes them wander in a pathless wilderness. They grope in the darkness without light, and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. If you're light, then you've also come to see sin. You have a heart of flesh instead of stone, and your desires and your feelings have changed. And you now love what you once hated. And you love God's Word, and you're moved by God's Word, and your emotions are engaged, and you desire holiness. Now your will has also begun to express this new knowledge, this new desire. Your decisions reflect that light. Fruit starts to be born. You become the man that you were meant to be. You become the woman or the young person that God meant for you to be. Fruit trees were meant to bear fruit, and man's chief end is to glorify God. We read in verse 9, the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Since God is good, then the person who is full of His light is also full of goodness. Let's just look at these three words quickly here. This is set over against the unfruitful works of darkness 
which benefit no one. The person in darkness really seeks to serve himself. Goodness is that quality that concerns others. Therefore, we read, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Doing good, doing things that serve others. Second is righteousness, which is another expression of light, which differs from goodness in that it has kind of a legal dimension. Righteousness conforms to the law. It means uprightness. It is a manifestation of justice. In other words, he does what is upright. He treats others fairly. He never violates the rules or laws. He never does someone wrong. He respects their rights and their possessions. A person who has become light wants to know what is right, what is just, what is equitable, what is fair, how to treat his neighbor and love his neighbor. He loves his neighbor as himself. He keeps both the letter and the spirit of the law. In other words, his whole life is governed by the principles of God's word. The third term the apostle uses is truth. So if you have become light, there's no more deceit. Nothing dishonest or underhanded, no hypocrisy or pretense, no hiding or concealing. Truth becomes paramount. And then finally, he speaks of finding out what is acceptable to the Lord or proving what is acceptable to the Lord. This literally means that we are to test We are to examine, we are to scrutinize, or prove our faith to see if it's genuine. This is how precious metals are tested. So I have a a lump of metal here, and uh, there's a series of acids that you can put on there to determine what it is. So if I want to find out if it's gold or silver, there are certain acids I can put. It's called the acid test. And that's how this word, uh, this Greek word, is used in other literature. And this is how you prove that the metal is genuine gold or silver. And so the ultimate test for the Christian is that he is seeking to prove uh, and to, excuse me, to discover what pleases the Lord. That's his motive. This is why he does what he does. And you see, there are a lot of people in life we call good people. They live in your neighborhood. You you visit with them from time to time. You do business with them. But perhaps they live this good life, this outwardly good life, because they're concerned about what other people will think. Or perhaps they're afraid of being found out and condemned, and so they have a facade of a life. Or maybe they're worried that if they didn't, it might cost them in some way. These things motivate, motivate and govern good behavior in some people. But for the Christian, this is very different. And that's the question we need to be asking ourselves. Paul wrote of his motives, for example. He said this in 1 Corinthians 4, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. That's the only thing that ultimately matters. 
And so Paul says, I'm not governed by what others say. I'm not even governed by my own opinion of myself. I am concerned with one thing and one thing only, that I be found acceptable to the Lord. So I ask, where are you? You must be in one kingdom or the other, the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. You say, I'm not sure. You, need, you must be sure. You must, then it must become your quest. It must become the thing that you are concerned about day and night until that is resolved. Colossians 1, 12-14, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Again, night and day. You either are or you aren't. You either are darkness or you are light. And I guess the, the thing I, as a pastor that you know, burdens my heart sometimes is, first of all, I can't see your heart. I can see your fruit. And you can see mine. And so, in some cases, there's much fruit and there's much assurance. But sometimes when I look, I don't see a lot of fruit. I don't see a lot of heart for the Lord. I don't see a lot of desire. It might be there. Maybe, maybe it's just uh, in the beginning. Maybe it just hasn't grown. Maybe it needs cultivating and nurturing. But I'm burdened sometimes. And, and, and oftentimes, it's the person who's in that situation that doesn't seem to be all that burdened themselves. But if you can sit here week after week and sit under the Word of God and hear the things you hear, whether it's at school or uh, in other places, concerning your faith, and that doesn't move, if you're never moved, if you're never convicted, if you're never torn, if you're never burdened, if you're never, uh, you never walk out of here saying, Man, I'm glad I was here today in the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I was glad I was there because the Lord really dealt with me today. And this week, I'm going to do this different or this better. I'm going to go home and I'm going to have this conversation with my spouse or my kids or my parents or my brother or sister or my friend. And things are going to be different. If you're never moved, then you're in darkness. You cannot not be moved. So let's pray. Father, thank you for rescuing us from the kingdom of darkness, for shining your light into our hearts, for making us to be light. Help us to shine brighter and brighter that others might see our good works, our fruit, and then glorify you. We are grateful for the Christians who have shown light into our lives and how you have used them to enlighten others to the gospel. I pray for any here who are still living in darkness, who are darkness. Use your word, your people, and your spirit to dispel the darkness for your glory and for their good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Romans 12, 1 through 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is 
your reasonable service and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Here is a parallel passage to what we considered in Ephesians 5 this morning. Given what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, it is only reasonable, it is only rational that you and I would sacrifice ourselves to His service and that as a result, everything would change. Starting with our thinking. And that this would demonstrate, this would prove the genuineness of our profession of faith. Again, Lloyd-Jones writes, he says, A Christian is a man who realizes that he owes everything that he is and has and hopes to be to this Lord, to the one who so loved him while he was yet in darkness, while he was yet a sinner, while he was yet ungodly, while he was yet an enemy, so loved him that he gave himself for him, His body was broken, his blood was shed, that he, a sinner, might become light in the Lord. He is a man who says to himself, I am not my own, I've been bought with a price. He is not a free agent. He is, with the Apostle Paul, the bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ, who died that he might be forgiven, who died that he might be made good, who died that he might have a hope of entering into heaven. It is... Uh, It is the Lord, this one who has given him everything. He, he is the motive. It is to please him. O Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Fill us with bold and courageous faith that we might trust you and move. Grant us to see our earthly hope is in the gospel of Christ. That we might act now to build and advance your kingdom. Enable us to obey your call that we might actively evangelize the nations. And so we pledge to preach the word and to be instant in season and out of season. To reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Indeed, to teach men and nations all things whatsoever you have commanded. In this world there are those who make war with the Lamb. And the Lamb shall overcome them for he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Father, the world is without excuse, but not without hope. The nations weary themselves in vain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Bless now our feast, our rest, our celebration, our delighting in you and in one another. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And give you peace. Amen. Amen.